Hello, my name is Dale Sadler, and I am the minister of the Birdwells Chapel Church of Christ in Cottontown, Tennessee. Thank you for watching. There are other ways you can be a part of what's happening at Birdwells Chapel. We have a children's Bible class and songs organized each Sunday. We also have a midweek Bible study, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. This morning, we have already had our Facebook Live Bible discussion. We are covering the book of James. These lessons and links can be found on YouTube or on our website at birdwellchapelchurchofchrist.com. I hope you'll join us next Sunday for our live discussion and we'll continue to take part in what we post on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you join us live, you can submit comments and questions. It is a very interactive experience. If you're watching now and live in the Cottontown area, consider attending our services when we are able to meet again. We are a body of believers that follows the Bible and the Bible alone. Until then, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. At the end of this lesson, we will have a devotional that focuses on the Lord's Supper. Christ instructed the apostles to observe the Lord's Supper until He returns. And we in the Church of Christ continue this practice today. Remember, stay connected with your friends and family of the Birdwell's Chapel Church of Christ and give someone a call this week or send them a card and let them know you miss them. Let us pray. Our Father in Heaven, we're grateful for this time that You've blessed us with and that we have set aside to worship You. I pray, Father, that all those watching will listen intently, will consider Your Word, Father, and what it means for them and their lives and eternity. We pray, Father, that this message will be uplifting, that it will be eye-opening, and that it will be challenging to us all. Father, we're grateful for Jesus, for His death on the cross that brings us salvation. And I pray, Father, that You will help us all to tell others about that salvation so that we might be the Christians, the called-out Father that You intend for us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Think of your favorite recipe. Perhaps it's a dessert or something you put on the grill. Also, think of how you might construct a bed frame or another woodworking project. Finally, think about a puzzle. You're probably doing a lot of these these days. What if in a puzzle, a recipe, or a woodworking project, you left something out? Would you just skip that part and say, oh, it'll be fine? Maybe for the puzzle. But for some other things that are more important, such as a recipe or perhaps building your car, working on that, you wouldn't want to leave anything out. By leaving things out, you risk a total failure of the project. I'm thankful that those who build cars and other important objects like that don't think, well, this part isn't important. We'll just leave it out. That would be dangerous, wouldn't it? There are parts of the Bible that people seem to skip right over. They have a few passages that they reference a lot and just seem to ignore the others. Perhaps they think the verses they look to are more important or that they cancel out the other verses and make them null and void. I hope you don't think like this. The Bible doesn't contradict itself, so we must make all the verses work together. If a verse says one thing and another verse seems to say another, we must look to the truth that complements them both. 
One example of this is Acts chapter 15 and verse 11, which says, But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now this verse clearly states that we are saved through grace. I love grace. One of my favorite things to study. Basically, grace means that God loves us so much that He wants to save us even though we are sinners. So what should we do with Acts chapter 15? Grace saves us. Do we stop reading there? No, of course not. The Bible talks a lot more about salvation. Let's consider Romans 10, verses 8 and 9. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the Word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. The Acts passage says grace saves you. The Romans passage says that we have to believe. It also mentions confession and that we will be saved. Well, how do these work together? Well, one must believe, obviously, and it is grace that God saves us with. And we also, of course, as we tell others, we are confessing that we believe in Jesus. One way to misuse the Romans 10 passage is to say, all you have to do is believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what it says, doesn't it? Do we stop there? I hope not. Because while Jesus' resurrection is a vital part to mankind's salvation, Christ did more than that. This is an example of how passages can reference different salvation methods, yet work together and complement each other, as they were meant to do. The writers of Scripture mentioned things to those they were teaching that they would need to hear the most. The people of Rome, you see, might have had a difficult time believing in God. So that would need to be an important thing Paul would need to mention since the Romans were involved in pagan gods before learning of the one true God. A good teacher always tells the student what he needs to hear most from the message he is trying to convey. For our lesson this morning, I would like to discuss an important item in salvation that is often minimized or neglected altogether. Baptism. Baptism works with belief, and it works in conjunction with grace. These items of salvation are not separate, they work together. Baptism is a word that in English means submersion. If someone baptizes you and you aren't submerged, that is a baptism not found in the Bible. For this lesson, we are going to look at what baptism does, and we are going to look at the Bible. I hope you'll follow along with me as we let the Bible speak about this important aspect of salvation. I hope you have your Bibles, so let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. When you start a job or an organized activity like soccer or baseball, what do you do? Quite often you learn the requirements to be on the team. You have a uniform that you wear. You put on that team or that company's name. For your team or your job, those colors and logos are important. Well, how do you put on Christ? How do you become a Christian? In this chapter, Paul tells the Galatians in verse 23 that they were once under the law, the old law, the Old Testament. But the law then led them to Christ, which was its purpose. 
I want to know Christ. Don't you? I want to understand how I can be close to Him and be in His family. I want to know how I can put on Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. What? I'm clothed with, with Christ? Yes, that's right. The imagery here is of an article of clothing. And if you will, consider the clothing worn in biblical times. It was a rather large garment. We oftentimes might call it a robe. And this covered the entire person. When you are clothed with something, people can tell what you have on. I have on this, this suit right now. You can obviously see it. And you can quickly see the colors and the fabric, and you know that somehow, in some way, this suit is a part of who I am. When you go to Walmart or another grocery store, can't you tell who works there very easily? It's an important aspect of the store. They want, they want customers to be able to recognize employees easily in case they need some help. When you are representing your school, don't you wear its colors and designs, particularly when you go to a game? There's no mistaking who you belong to. Being clothed with Christ does the same thing. Although some people have Christ maybe like a credit card in their pocket, only taking it out for emergencies or when they need it. But Christ doesn't want to be in your pocket. He wants to clothe you completely. When you walk out somewhere and you start talking and you start acting, Christ wants other people to see Him all over you. Christ wants to clothe you. When you put on Christ, you do this for certain reasons. You do this to battle against sin. So not only when you put on Christ, do you show others that you are a Christian, but you make a commitment to stay away from sinful things. In Romans 13, Paul is discussing this very issue. In verse 13, he says, Let us behave properly, as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Paul is saying Christians should stay away from sin. Some so-called Christians would say that if you're a Christian, you can live however you want because Jesus loves you. Well, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says differently. Verse 14 continues, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Some people think they put on Christ and then can live however they want. But this verse says, Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. In other words, don't do anything that's going to cause you to sin. Put on Christ, he says. If the Roman congregation asked Paul, well, how do we do that? He would likely answer maybe something like this. You know what? I have a letter to the Galatians that instructed them to be baptized in order to put on Christ. Remember, we have to make the verses work together. Otherwise, we would be making them contradict. Don't you think that putting on Christ is necessary? Don't you think that baptism is necessary if you want to put on Christ? So putting on Christ helps us to battle sin. It should give us a reason to battle sin because we want to be a good representative of Christ. Well, what else does baptism do? Let's look at Acts 22. 
In this passage, Paul is discussing his conversion to Christianity. He was actually defending himself before the Jews, telling them about what happened when he became a Christian. Did you know that baptism was a part of this process? If you'll recall, Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. When he was going about imprisoning Christians, the Lord visited him and spoke directly to Paul on this road. His name was Saul at the time, and he became blind. And when he got to his destination, he met a man named Ananias, a devout man of God. Ananias tells him, starting in verse 15, Paul, you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So what did Ananias tell Paul would happen after he was baptized? That his sins would be washed away straight out of the book. Isn't that what we want? We want our sins to be forgiven. The imagery here, I hope you see, is compelling. When you rise up out of the water, that action in the eyes of God, according to this passage, washes away your sin. And just like Ananias told Saul, who later became Paul, he says to him, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. And I hope you see here that with baptism, there is a sense of urgency. That you don't wait when you're ready, when you're ready to convert, when you are ready to give your life to Christ, you are baptized right then. The examples in Scripture are over and over in that way. And I hope that you can see that. A similar sentiment is found in Acts 2.38, where the Apostle Peter says that you should be baptized for the remission of your sins. The word remission means the cancellation of a debt, a charge, or a penalty. To remit. If you owe someone money and they tell you, I don't worry about it, that debt you see is forgiven. That debt is remitted. So according to Acts chapter 2, if I want my sins forgiven, I must be baptized. Are there other ways to have your sins forgiven? If you know of any, I hope it's from the Bible. But as we've been talking, if you're referencing other passages, they must also work in conjunction with passages about baptism. Passages about belief. Passages about grace. 1 Peter 3.21 also carries this washing away imagery that we find in other passages. It says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This passage actually states that baptism saves you. For me, the discussion ends here as to the importance of baptism. Do other things save us like faith and belief? Well, sure. You need it all. Why would you be baptized if you didn't believe? Why would you be baptized if you didn't have faith? Why would you need that? You have those things though, so you follow passages like 1 Peter 3.21. Let me read it again. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt. It's not a bath, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. We are doing something that Scripture has instructed us to do and when we are obedient, we have a clean conscience. I have debated people about baptism, and they say that it's not necessary because grace saves us, because belief saves us. 
Because if I confess Jesus, I'll be saved. Do you know something? I have no problem with these passages. Romans 10.9 says that confessing Jesus will save you. The problem I have is that people read that one verse and then they close their Bibles. They're trying to be saved with just one part of the story. What if your mama made a chocolate cake and left out the chocolate? Would it be a chocolate cake? No, it wouldn't. Are you saved if you neglect a part of the Scripture? If you neglect baptism or if you neglect the saving power of grace, are you saved? Well, I'm not your judge, but I have my doubts according to Scripture. I also take issue quite often with people who try to explain away baptism as being unimportant. If it washes away your sins like the Bible says, why would you want to avoid it? Another example of a group that was baptized was the Philippian jailer and his family. A miracle was performed in the prison and the jailer nearly killed himself because he thought Paul and Silas had escaped. But they stayed in the jail, perhaps out of concern for this man. What did the jailer do? Acts 16.30 says that after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is this not something that can be easily asked today? Don't you want to be saved? If you do and you were to ask me, Dale, what must I do to be saved? Would I not be compelled to tell you what Paul and Silas told the jailer? They said in verses 31 through 33, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Is belief important? Here it is. Yes, you have to believe in order to be saved. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together. We've got to keep on reading the passage, right? With all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized. He and all his household. Belief was important. But so was an immediate obedience to being baptized. So why do so many people use the Bible to try and contradict passages like this? They'll see this verse of where a man was immediately baptized and may come up with reasons as to why this isn't important. It was important to Paul and Silas, men inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why shouldn't it be important to us? Remember, the Bible does not contradict itself. Baptism puts on Christ and washes away our sins. Well, why baptism, you may ask? Well, this is an easy answer. Turn to Romans chapter 6, please. I'll begin reading with verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? We want to put on Christ, don't we? We want to engage with Him somehow. Paul is writing to the Romans here, to the Roman church, and telling them we have been baptized into His death. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism. Whenever you want to reach a place and you go through something like a tunnel, you have to start at one end and go to another. And it is that tunnel that maybe joins one town to the next. Here, it is baptism that joins us to Christ's burial, that joins us to His death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Guess what? Because I'm baptized, now I'm a new creature. What kind of a new creature? A Christian. You see how baptism plays into this. 
For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. You see, baptism is a likeness. It is a likeness to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We die to sin just like Christ died because of sin. We are buried in water just as Christ was buried in the earth. And then we are raised up a new person just as Christ was raised and ascended again into heaven. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free to sin. Baptism is a part of this. Our old self was crucified. When we died to sin, our old self was done away with. Well, how do I engage in this act? You engage in the death, burial, and resurrection in that act by being baptized. Because this passage here clearly creates a parallel to Christ and what He endured in the final moments of His life and in the coming days through the resurrection. It creates a perfect parallel to how we die to sin, are buried, and then are raised up a new person. This passage here illustrates that so very beautifully. When you join a sports team or start a new job, you have to apply, don't you? You have to go for the sign-ups or fill out an application, and then you're added to that group. Do you want to be a part of the church? The church that Christ died for? The church that we read of in the Bible? I hope so. Well, there's only one way to be added to the church that we read of in Scripture. Other places have various ways that they might add you, but according to Scripture, this is how we're added. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13, For even as the body is one and yet many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. You see, there's a lot of passages that talk about baptism. And it is this passage that says we are baptized into one body. Whose body? The body of Christ. I hope you understand the following about baptism. Because it is straight from the Bible. I hope that with baptism you see that you put on Christ. That baptism washes away your sins. That baptism forgives you of your sin. That baptism makes you free from sin. That it makes you a new creature. And that it makes you to be able to enter the body of Christ. These points are straight out of the text. Consider this. If I am free from sin when I am baptized, what am I when I am not baptized? I'm not free from sin. If I have my sins washed away when I am baptized, what is wrong when I am not baptized? I still have sin on me. If baptism puts me into the body of Christ, the church, where am I when I am not baptized? Well, I'm outside of the church. You may have other answers to these statements. And if you do, I hope those answers come from the Bible. Also, if you have other answers... They must work together with one another because the Bible does not contradict itself. Be a doer of the Word, as James 1.22 says. But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Don't delude yourself. In other words, don't make excuses as to why you don't need to be baptized. We are instructed in Scripture to do so. 
and to follow the whole Word of God, not just parts of it. Making excuses, deluding yourself, will just keep you from Christ. If you'd like to be baptized, our baptistry is always ready. Contact us at the Birdwell Chapel Church of Christ and let us study with you. We can help you begin your spiritual walk with Christ just like was done in the New Testament. Will you pray with me please? Our Father in Heaven, we are so grateful for the wisdom of Your Word and what it teaches about baptism. I pray, Father, that those who are watching right now will consider whether or not they have been baptized and that if they haven't, Father, that they'll make that decision right now to contact me, to contact their local congregation so that they might become a Christian. And for those who are Christians, Father, who might not be as faithful as they should, who have a lot of growing to do, I pray, Father, that they will ask that their sins be forgiven and they will come back closer to You. I pray, Father, that You will bring healing upon our planet, that the COVID disease will go away. I pray, Father, that whatever might happen, that we just put all things in Your hands, for Thy will be done. In Christ's name we pray.